0: It isn't just hot outside for runners this summer season, because things are heating up at Running Warehouse. Hoka's breaking new ground this month with the introduction of the CLO Road. Our recent podcast guest, Running Warehouse's Connor Blaylock, called it a nimble shoe that makes you feel connected to the ground, and if you're running a 5K or 10K with lots of tight turns, you're going to feel a lot more confident in it. Featuring a PIVA midsole that's light and fast, it's a shoe that you'll want to put on your shortlist this race season. Also just in at Running Warehouse is Saucony's brand new Triumph 21. Last year's version was already one of our favorite trainers of the year, and this year's changes to the upper have made it even better. Get ready to log hundreds of fun, bouncy miles for your marathon season ahead. From the Asics Kayano 30 to the Hoka X to new apparel from Rabbit, there's lots of new exciting trainers and gear hitting the shelves. Find it all today at runningwarehouse.com. Hey everyone and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast where we, a group of doctors physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. Today we are having a unique episode. We're going to have two different sections that are going to be with different uh, contributors of ours. The first segment of this podcast is going to be Andrea and she's going to be talking about her top five favorite shoes so far 2023. We got a taste of everyone else's in our previous episode with Connor but we couldn't coordinate to get everyone together. So we are going to have Andrea share her's as well because I know that's what everybody wants to hear um, and we just value her opinion a ton. So you're going to get her top five picks and then it's going to transition to Matt and he is giving a deeper dive into his recent systematic review that he did regarding Masters Runners. So we're going to get a deep dive on what he's been researching and doing as a part of his PhD studies. We're excited to share all of that with you and we're so thankful that all of you have been following along with us and if you could it would really help us out if you take a second to uh, rate this podcast and leave a review of what you find beneficial or ways we can improve, whatever it is, all of those reviews help us in terms of growing the podcast and continuing to do this so that we can create more content for you all. Um, We also would love to always hear what you want to hear from us. So if you could drop a comment telling us what you want in our upcoming question and answer episodes, our mailbag episodes, we'd love to hear what you have to say. But let's kick it over to Andrea to hear her top five favorite shoes of 2023 so far.
1: Hi everyone, this is Andrea from Doctors of Running, and today I'm going to talk about my top five shoes so far in 2023. I was bummed I didn't get to join the guys and Connor from Running Warehouse in the episode a couple weeks ago, but I thought I would come on here today to tell you what shoes I've been loving so far this year. Um, As always, we love to hear what shoes you've been enjoying, so shoot us an email or leave us a comment below. We love to hear from you. So I was thinking about my top five, and I had four really solid choices, and then I went back and looked and thought, okay, well, what other shoes did I just really enjoy testing? And it turns out that my number five shoe is actually a trail shoe, the Saucony Exodus Ultra 2. I don't do a ton of trail running, but we've got a lot of trails here in Connecticut, and a lot of really technical trails, and when I do go trail running, I need a shoe I can count on. And I've had the opportunity to test a ton of trail shoes this year. And I've got to say, this one is my favorite so far. The fit is secure. Um, I really liked the fit of this version better than version one. I found that version two just had a little bit more room in the toe box. The midfoot fit, fit a little more snug. Version one, the midfoot felt a little bit sloppy. I didn't feel like my foot was locked down as well. And I just, every run I took this shoe on, I just felt totally confident and secure with my footing. Um, this shoe has a Power Run PB midsole, which is Saucony's Superfoam. And then that's inside a Power Run frame. So it's a nice balance between like responsive cushioning, but that Power Run frame just felt like it provides a little bit of stability to that Superfoam so that it wasn't an overly cushioned soft shoe, which I don't really do well with on trails. Um, this shoe has four and a half millimeter lugs, which I found to give me really nice traction on just about any surface. The only place I found that it didn't work well was really deep mud. You need a shoe with deeper lugs than that, like the Peregrine green ST, which I think has six or six and a half millimeter lugs. but otherwise, This shoe, I can take anywhere, be totally confident in it, so that's why it's my number five shoe of the year. I would definitely encourage you to check it out if you're looking for a trail running shoe. Um, It's marketed as their ultra shoe. I could definitely see using it for a long distance trail race. It's a little heavy at uh, 9.6 ounces for a men's nine, 8.5 ounces for a women's eight to be used for shorter races, but... If you just need a shoe to take out on the trails for some runs, this is a great choice. All right, moving on to my number four shoe. I am really excited about this shoe. I think it's going to move up in my rankings as the year goes on, but I've only gotten to test it on a few runs, but it is the On Cloud Boom Echo 3. This shoe is awesome. Awesome. And it reminds me a lot of the original Alpha Fly, which I love for races, basically half marathon on down. The only thing I don't love about the original Alpha Fly is it's a little short in the toe box and I have definitely lost my big toenails from running a half marathon in that shoe. So this shoe reminds me so much of the bounce that I get at initial contact from the original Alpha Fly. I tend to land like at my lateral midfoot. So if you think about those AirPods on the Alphafly, you're really landing right on that the most cushioned part of that shoe and then it just rockets you forward. And I get that same feeling at initial contact in this shoe. And I would say it's a little more controlled feeling than the Alphafly. Um but I just like that really immediately responsive uh, initial contact, and then the four foot rocker kind of pushes you into push off. I've used it for a workout with threshold intervals. I've used it for workout at like 10K pace intervals. And then on Sunday, yesterday, I used it for a 35 minute hilly tempo at like marathon effort. And I've got to say, I just, I love this shoe. I'm doing the New Haven 20K uh, Labor Day, and I think this is going to be my race shoe. I'm not sure I would use it in a marathon, although I think I'll know better after the 20K and maybe testing it on a couple more uh, marathon pace runs. I think it might be a little firm for a marathon, but you never know. So... um I would, this is an expensive shoe. It's $290, $40 more than the Vaporfly or the Alphafly, but I think it's worth it, especially if you're someone like me who loved the original Alphafly. It's not available anymore, or it's only available in a couple sizes. Um, especially if you land at your midfoot or your forefoot, this feels like the original Alphafly. So check it out. Um, on cloud boom echo three is my number four shoe of the year, but will it be my number two or number one by the end of the year? We'll see. All right. My number three shoe is the topo cyclone two, which I have put a ton of miles on this year. I think it's coming to the end of its life. I used it, uh, last week on some dirt road. So you can see, I, uh, kind of destroyed the, the exposed midsole there. But this shoe, I've used it literally for everything. Easy runs. I've used it for a long run of 17 miles. I've used it for workouts with intervals, hill sprints, mile pace intervals, 5K pace, 10K pace, uh, long marathon tempos. This shoe can do it all. It's light. For a woman's size 7, it's 5.5 ounces, which is crazy. Um, the stack height is pretty reasonable. It's 27 in the heel, 22 in the forefoot, and it's got a P-backs midsole. So it's a super foam. Topo did an amazing job with their first, uh, super foam shoe. And I, I just can't say enough good things about it. I, I've got, like I said, 250 miles on mine. I think it's time to get a new pair. The cushioning in the forefoot is feeling a little bit flat. Like I... I feel like it's bottoming out a little bit. Um, I'll probably still run a little bit more in it, but I'm going to order a new pair just to compare the new version to what my version feels now. Um, I think the reason I like this shoe so much, number one, Topo's toe box is the best in the business. It's wide without being sloppy. My foot doesn't move around in it, but also my MTPs have plenty of room. They just strike a nice balance between a roomy toe box and not allowing any foot translation in the shoe. I also get along really well with the late toe spring Topo has, and the Cyclone Two is no exception. Um, Nice wide base gives me a really nice place to land right around here, and you just roll really nicely into push-off. You can see the forefoot still has some flexibility to it, which I think is what helps make it comfortable at faster paces. I know David loves this shoe for track workouts. And while I don't do many workouts on the track when I do like mile pace work, this is the shoe that I go to first. It just feels the most natural. It provides enough cushioning without feeling unstable. um, And it still provides plenty of ground feel because the stack height really isn't that much. Um, So this shoe, can't wait to get a fresh pair, but Topo really hit it out of the park with this one. My number two shoe, which no one will be surprised about, although you might wonder why it's not my number one, is the Brooks Hyperion Max. This shoe has 100% been my do-it-all, um, if I'm traveling, this is the shoe I'm bringing because I can use it for every run of the week. Um, it fits really comfortably, although for me, I do use wear the men's version to get a little bit extra room in the toe box. So I would recommend that if you have a wider forefoot, women just go up to the men's size. Men, um, I do believe they make this shoe in the wide version, so I would check that out. But this shoe is amazing. First of all, it's light. Seven and a half ounces for a men's size nine, 6.7 ounces for a women's size eight. That's really light for a training shoe. I've used it for 20 mile easy runs and my feet have felt cushioned, protected from the ground. It's just for me the right balance of stack height, cushioning and responsiveness. I also find because of the slightly firmer ride and the rocker geometry. You can see there's a pretty good heel bevel, pretty good four foot rocker, some toe spring here. It works really well for intervals almost any pace. And kind of like the Topo Cyclone too, I've used it for every pace workout, from mile pace to longer marathon tempos. And it just it responds to the pace you ask of it. Um, so I've just loved having this shoe in my rotation because I know it can take anything I throw at it. Um, this is actually my second pair of the Hyperion Max this year. My first pair, I got to about 300 miles and then felt like the midsole had just compressed too much, particularly where I land in the midfoot. So I ordered the second pair. I love this colorway, by the way. Um, the outsole on my first pair. Didn't really wear out much at all. There's pretty significant rubber coverage. And you can see, so this pair I've got, I think, like 170 miles on, it's just a little bit worn where the exposed midsole is. But the rubber, there's almost no wear on it. If it came down to just the rubber, this shoe would probably last 500 miles for me. But the DNA flash definitely felt like it had broken down pretty significantly by 300 miles. Um, the rubber gives it great traction in the rain. Like it's just, it's a dependable, comfortable, light, well-performing shoe. Um, if super shoes didn't exist, I'd run a marathon in this tomorrow. No question. So I, this is a $170 shoe. I think it's worth every penny. I really highly recommend it. Um, It's definitely been the replacement for the New Balance Beacon for me, which many of you know is my uh, primary love in running shoes, but does not exist anymore. So if you're a Beacon fan like me, check the Hyperion Max out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. So now moving on to my number one shoe of the year. um, That is hands down the Vaporfly 3. This shoe, I ran Grandma's Marathon in in June. Um, I had zero foot irritation or discomfort during the race. But even more importantly, after the race, my feet felt fine. My quads and hamstrings were tired, but my feet felt like, you know, I hadn't done anything special the day before. So I'm really impressed with the updates they made to this shoe. I have... The Vaporfly 1, I've got the Vaporfly 2, and obviously I've got this. This is my hands-down favorite version. Um they some people may not know they shifted the four-foot platform medially in version 3. And while logically, I thought that perhaps I would not like that because I do tend to land pretty far laterally. It actually made the forefoot feel more stable and feel like it was more directly underneath my foot from initial contact to push off. So I, again, the proof is in the pudding of how I felt during and after the marathon. Um, Definitely the most comfortable, best performing Vaporfly for me. Uh, They also updated the upper this fly knit material is a lot more breathable than version one or two. There's a little bit more volume in the toe box. Um, I had to size up for version one and two a half size. Not this one. This one's true to size. Had plenty of room for my big toe in length. Had no irritation at my MTPs in the width. Um, and again, I just can't say how much more breathable this version is. You can see how big the perforations are here. Um, Same asymmetrical lacing like previous versions. I never experienced any, like, irritation or hot spots from the laces in any of the versions of this shoe, but just great fit, incredible performance. Um, I and Matt also found this. We both thought that this version felt a little bit firmer than Versions 1 and 2, and I know a lot of people disagreed with us. I thought maybe that would change as I put more miles on it. I've got 100 miles now on it after the marathon. It still feels the same. So when I say it feels firmer than Versions 1 or 2, when you at initial contact in the first two versions, you get that sinking feeling before you kind of roll forward and push off. I just don't get that sinking in feeling with this shoe. It feels like you land and like you're immediately pushed forward. So one, it feels more responsive, but it also feels a little more stable because you don't get that sinking in feeling. And that may be specific to my mechanics as a midfoot striker. This shoe probably feels different to people who land further back. But for me as a lateral midfoot striker, this shoe feels more responsive than the previous versions, which is something that I like a lot. So um, 5.6 ounces for women's size 8, you can't beat that weight. They actually figured out how to make it lighter than um, versions 1 or 2, even with a little bit more um, rubber coverage on the sole. Um, You can see, so this is 100 miles. It's dirty, but there's really no areas of major wear. I think I'm going to get... Maybe another marathon out of these. I'm running Philly in November, so I've got to decide between these or maybe Cloud Boom Echo 3. We'll see. Um, But there's definitely some life left in these shoes. So I'll keep you guys updated about what I choose. So thank you for listening to my um, top five shoes so far of 2023. There are some really exciting Shoes coming out in the second half that I am really excited to try. I can't talk about them yet, but hopefully soon. So I will keep you updated on what my thoughts are for the rest of the year, especially as I get further into marathon training. Um, like I said, we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think about shoes so far this year, what your favorites are. Shoot us an email, at gmail.com or leave us a comment Um, and thanks for listening.
2: So today it's just going to be me solo, Matt, talking about an article that I was, after a lot of work, was very fortunate to get published in the Journal of Sports Biomechanics. And this is an area that I'm going to talk about that's very special to me. It's also very personal. Um, and so the title of the article was Changes in Running Biomechanics in Masters Runners Over Age 50, A Systematic Review. And why this special is to me? Because A, my dissertation that I'm working on, and this, by the way, was the second chapter of my dissertation, and I've got three done going to be starting the fourth one out of five very soon here. Uh, the reason this was important because I have really turned my focus and a lot of my private clinical practice to working with master's runners. It's something I really am passionate about. I am, besides being an orthopedic clinical specialist, I am also a geriatric clinical specialist. Uh, and I love working with older individuals because I want to know a what's happening to our bodies, both my body and others, and what we can do about it to be able to age gracefully. It's one of those things, you know. Everybody, you know, everybody's going to get older, right? But we need to figure out what does that mean for each one of us. So we know there are changes that happen as we get older. We know some changes a lot better than other changes. But how is that going to affect our function? And that's why I'm so interested in in older individuals and aging is because I just, like I said, want to know what's happening and what we can do about it is kind of the big key. The problem with figuring out what to do about it is as I've gone through my dissertation work, written, now published, discovered there was not as much as I was hoping in this area, which is kind of a little disappointing because – aging, right? There's lots of literature on aging. There's not as much literature on being athletic and aging. There's very basic stuff like, oh, you make sure you do basic exercise. Don't sit on the couch. It's like, okay, cool. For those people who actually want to still be running and working out at a high intensity, what what does that mean for us? And I have a little bit of that for you. But I also, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this systematic review is because yes, there's some literature reviews on... Kind of what happens in the Master's Runner. There was a systematic review versus literature review is different because a systematic review is actual research on research. If that tells you how boring I am, I'm just kidding. Um, the literature review is kind of like an expert opinion where it's like we bring some stuff together, but it's not this systematic study of what actually has been done and how do we make sure we don't miss anything. So there wasn't anything on biomechanical changes in master's runners. There's not very much on master's runners to begin with. There are a couple studies on systematic reviews on the muscle morphology changes. Changes from There's a wonderful article from McKendry at all on uh, muscle morphology changes, and that includes strength athletes, endurance athletes, not specific to runners, but there's some good stuff that can be gleaned from there, but nothing specific to and no, certainly no consensus on Masters runners. So the purpose of this, because my research is on this group, and if I want to do research, I need to have a good stable foundation to stand on. And before I did this, like, well... How am I going to argue something about, well, this is change, this biomechanical change is happening, so I can look at this? I didn't have that consistently. So the purpose was to find finally get a consensus on in the current literature about what biomechanically happens for those of us running as we get older. So, so basically it was the looking at research comparing younger runners to masters runners. And let me um clarify one thing in just a second and the reason i said over age 50 is because we got to define masters runners first and explain what that is so for those who haven't heard this i'm sure most hopefully most people have and probably the masters runners listener are going duh um no offense masters runners are defined as any runner over the it depends on who you ask any runner over the age of 35 to 40 who is continuing to compete in road running events trail running events um USA track and field generally defines it 35 to 40. I have a problem with this because if you look at the literature on when we see the largest musculoskeletal changes, it's not 35 to 40. In fact, so you start seeing just little cues as what happens when you start getting older. Age 30 is about the first time on average, you start seeing some significant changes and not significant, but start seeing changes in the musculoskeletal system. When you're younger, you get stronger. Everything's moving forward, right? It's like life is great. Um, as you hit 30, some of that stuff starts to slow down and you're going to start seeing some changes and little declines in function. I say little because yeah, you're still seeing 30 year olds. That's like some of the best time for endurance athletes and some incredible masters athletes who are setting records and all this stuff. So you see a lot of elite athletes actually frequently peaking in 30. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if you can label this fairly going, okay, this group is older, like, has significant changes where they need to have their own age group, right? I'm not meaning to, like, say, oh, you know, if you're 35, like, you don't deserve your own age category. I'm not saying that. I am saying that from the evidence. A lot of the changes that you really start to see don't happen until about, on average, age 50. There's a great article by Hall, which kind of was looking at this, not in runners, but in, like, huge volumes of people throughout the age span. What we found was, they found was, 30 is kind of the first thing that starts to happen. 50 is where this starts to accelerate. And then 75-ish is when this really starts to accelerate. And I can tell you this, and this is anecdotal, but I can also tell you this from a clinical practice standpoint, but those age periods is where you start seeing major changes. Now you obviously want to do something about them, right? And that's where I'm coming in. And with this article, it's kind of trying to start some of the, what do we need to do about this? What do we, how do we maintain our function as long as possible? Can we maintain the same function we did that we were 25 over 75? Probably not, but we can at least maintain that in age as well as possible and keep moving as well as possible for as long as possible. So that's where this comes in. So I, To be honest, disagree with having 35 to 40 be the start of Masters running category. I think that it should be 45-50 based on current evidence, but I'm not the one in charge of that. That said, because I wanted to make sure I saw changes – I focused on masters or masters runners over the age 50 and older, and then younger runners 40 and younger, because that middle group kind of like that was that transition period I was really concerned about. And you're welcome. Anybody that's curious, you're welcome to see my full methodology and pick it apart because any feedback I am more than open to. So again, that's the definition of masters runners. What happens, or at least what do we know happens as we get older? So what we do know so far, some of the stuff I told you, age 50 approximately tends to be a major time point. We do know that not specifically in runners, but we know that as you get old, actually, yeah, as you get older in the general population, we tend to lose strength most significantly and muscle, I just, let me start over. We tend to lose muscle mass most significantly in the extremities. So you tend to maintain trunk hip function a lot better than you maintain wrist and specifically calf and foot function. The calf function is something that has been studied extensively in older individuals as a risk for falls, right? Because your calf really is how you propel. It's also how you your ankle strategy is how you really get used to or like, accommodate to any kind of weird changes on your foot, i.e. it's how you maintain balance. What you don't want to have happen is if you have a small change in the surface underneath you, you don't want to have an exaggerated balance reaction because that can actually cause you to fall. You want to have a balance reaction that matches to the perturbation that, that you experience, right? So if you kind of slip a little bit, you should be able to like use your ankle and your calf muscles to kind of balance yourself really quickly instead of having the whole thing get involved, which can be a risk factor for... Uh, false we do know again power So let me let me keep i keep going the wrong way with this and i think appreciate your patience on this so we know that overall but especially in the extremities like calf and things like that we tend to lose muscle mass as we get older that's just something that happens there's this, you know power and strength athletes tend to be able to maintain that better they don't maintain it 100% but they maintain it a lot better as we get older so we lose muscle mass we lose more muscle strength than we do muscle mass, right? So that's been fair. This is not specific to mass This it's just across like the general population. We also tend to lose more muscle power and power generation than we do muscle strength and muscle mass. So there's there's a myster- mystery here that I'm not going to address today. That we are definitely losing function as we get older. Okay. The further question is: So what does that mean? And what other changes are we seeing? So we talked about musculoskeletal stuff, or like musculoskeletal stuff you're seeing. Um, we also know that there's a dramatic change in the injury types as we get older. So when you're younger, the more common ones you'll see, kind of the top ones are patellofemoral or knee stuff, right? A lot of people have had some knee stuff. It's really common when you're younger. Not everyone, but a lot of people. So top ones are like knee stuff, patellar tendinopathy, patellofemoral issues, IT band stuff, shin splints, i.e. medial tibial stress syndrome, shin splints, and then Achilles stuff is down there a little bit. As you get older and you become a master's owner, this is a great study from McKean et all, um, fa- found that as you get older, you tend to experience a lot more Achilles issues, which is number one, calf problems, and hamstring issues. That's not to say that you don't have knee problems, That's you, but the, the most common ones are calf number one, sorry, Achilles number one calf number one, two, and hamstring number three. And we have no idea why. So that's where my interest is, is going, okay, I'm a physical therapist. I treat injuries. Why is this happening? And we really don't know. There's some literature, some literature views that suggested, you know, oh, maybe it has to do with loss of calf strength. But we don't know that for sure. There's some kind of, I'm not going to say stereotypes, but like some Commonly accepted things that happen in master runners when there's not a consensus on research. And this is where I came in. So, some of the previous general evidence, not a systematic review, had suggested that master runners tend to have shorter stride lengths. They tend to have higher stride rates. They tend to obviously have a lot less bounce. They tend to be a lot more level because they're generating supposedly generating a lot less force. But if you look at a consensus in the literature using a systematic review, we really didn't know. So you can't really make any consensus, any like hypotheses because you have nothing to stand on because you're not really sure. We were not really sure what was happening as you're going from being a younger runner to a master's runner. So that's where I came in. So I did the systematic review. Uh, It took six months to just do do the review because it was myself and my advisor, Dr. Chris Patterson over at APU that were working on this. Um it's probably closer to 7 8 months. This took a lot of time and a lot of work. If you've never done a systematic review and you don't understand what it takes to, to do these, it's an insane amount of work of going through thousands of not more articles trying to figure out what matches the inclusion exclusion criteria. Ie one of the components was being over age 50 and then the younger earners being under age 40 just to have something to compare, making sure the data was looking at the right stuff and I found things all over the place. Um Another challenge is doing good research is really hard, and I'm really glad I did this because I am getting ready for my full study, which I'll talk about at the end here, and you got to really make sure your stuff is all in order to do this. It's hard enough to do these. It's even harder to get published. So the publishing part took me – I submitted to one journal. They said it wasn't appropriate for them because it's biomechanics, and then I submitted to sports biomechanics back in November of 2022. And then after going back and forth and back and forth, all these revisions finally got published in June of 2023. So that's a long time. It took a long time. So please, uh, patience with me is necessary and uh, realize a lot of work within this. And these are really hard to do. So tons of studies, looked through all this stuff, read through all this stuff, found a consensus, pulled the stuff together. And what we, what I found was kind of surprising, but also kind of not surprising. So let's go through what the basic results were. And then we'll talk about kind of what might that mean. And I'm going to be very, very careful with this because I can't make definite conclusions on, oh, this is why we get injured. This is this, this is that, because there's still a lot more to be done, but this is part of building the foundation to actually go, okay, this is why we do these in- interventions. This is an observational systematic review meeting. I'm just looking at stuff going, hey, we're just watching and seeing differences. So Be careful with the conclusions you make with this. I will be careful with them. So here's the things we found biomechanically, meaning kinematics and kinetics. Kinematics is looking at motion. Kinetics is looking at forces. I didn't look at strength because there wasn't enough stuff on that. And I knew early on I wasn't going to be able to find a consensus on that stuff. So movement and forces during Masters Runners versus Younger Runner Stride. What I found initially, which was a little surprising at first, was that in master's runners, the majority of studies out there found that there was no change in stride rate. So cadence. So you remember earlier, one of the things that people say, oh, they generally have a higher cadence. That turned out to not be true on the whole, right? Maybe there might be a small population, but overall, most of the research suggests that there wasn't a change in stride rate or cadence. They generally have the same cadence as younger runners. What they have a different difference compared to younger runners is their stride length tends to shorten this is kind of known like that short stride like you know it's but that doesn't that overall that changes and gets shorter what is weird though and was a very strong consensus the majority of articles i found is that hip extension i.e., your hip going behind you right that actually increases as you get older which I would have suspected the opposite. I would have expected a loss of hip flexor mobility. I would have expected joint stiffness. I would not have expected that to increase, but hip, ex- although overall stride length isn't decreasing, hip extension decreases, which I'm assuming means that some, you got to lose that from somewhere. So hip flexion might be decreasing. I can't say that for sure, but we know stride length shorter, Hip extension increases compared to younger runners in Masters Runners. So that was very an interesting first thing to find. The second thing when we're starting to look at kinematics, which is forces, and I should tell you that by the way, none of the other like joints, range of motion stuff was changing, like peak range of motion in the knee and ankle wasn't changing. And I was like, that was surprising. I was really expecting the ankle to change. It the range of motion, like how much you moved, didn't change. And I was like – consistently throughout the different studies. And I was like, that's interesting. So HIP seems to be the big thing, range of motion change that you see. From a force perspective, very consistently, like consensus across all the the research study included was that you have lower peak propulsive ground reaction forces. Now, in English, what that means, ground reaction forces, when you put force into the ground, a ground reaction force is the – so if you – all forces must have an equal and opposite force into them right? So if that's how we measure this stuff. So if you're running over a force plate, which we chip is typically how we do this, which I'm doing right now, when you put force into the ground, that's how the plate measures that. So it's the ground reaction it's reacting to the amount of force you put into the ground. That's how this is measured. So propulsive ground reaction forces tend to come most strongly from the calf. There's a study by Hamner et al long ago, not that long, um, that found that the a large portion of the propulsion that happens during the running gait is from the calf. So a decrease in lower peak propulsion ground reaction forces might suggest that masters runners aren't putting as much force into the ground and certainly aren't propelling themselves forward as much, which kind of makes sense because as we get older, we typically tend to slow down, right? This is a kind of a microscopic view into a hue, a much bigger thing going on, but that's kind of what it sounds like, right? So you're not pushing off as hard, essentially, in, in your term at the end of your gate. We also found that when we're looking at joint moments, and for those of you who don't know, moments are kind of the sum of all the forces happening around a joint, right? So generally, these tend to come mostly from muscles, although some soft tissue structures like ligaments and some other stuff can actually produce these just a teeny bit at the very end. But for the most part, it's all the sum, especially of muscle forces that are happening around a joint. So we know, and we found from this, cons- like a significant consensus across all literature, that... Among the different joints, hip didn't really change, knee didn't really change, but ankle, the plantar flexion moments significantly decreased compared to younger runners. So, master runners significantly decreased plantar flexion moments, and these happen sig- most significantly during the second half of when your foot's on the ground, also called the stance phase. So, as you're resisting your body collapsing right, and your foot's your your calves are kicking on and holding you off to the point where they actually push off that whole phase, right, from like controlling your body to pushing you off, there's a significant decrease in plantar flexion moments, which again, combined with the peak propulsive uh, ground reaction force suggests that you're not pushing off through your ankle nearly as hard as when you're younger, which again, I'm going to emphasize the calf is the primary thing that does this. So in conclusion, there's some differences between younger and older runners. We already knew this, but this brings a better consensus as to kind of what specifically movement and force wise is changing. It looks like your hip extension is increasing, but your calf function is decreasing. And now my hypothesis for why this might happening is a lot of what happens at the end of your stance phase when you're pushing off affects a lot of different things. So You need to time when you push off to get adequate to start the swing phase, i.e. get your leg forward so you can start pushing off again. You can land, get back, push off again. If you're not pushing off very much, you're not going to start that phase earlier. You're not going to start the swing phase when your leg is in the uh, air until later. So my hypothesis is that because you're not pushing off at the right time, you're not generating enough force to start that. You're actually delaying when that happens. So instead of pushing off directly under or just a little bit behind you, It's taking more time for you to push because you're not generating as much force. So your stride behind you, it's taking longer for you to get your foot off the ground. A compensation for that would be you need to extend your hip more to be able to handle that. I would suspect, although I didn't really see anybody comment on this, I would expect you to see less hip flexion because the more you push off, the more your leg tends to swing forward. I don't know if people know that. Most people think that your hip flexors are the primary thing that pull your leg forwards, but it's really a combination of your half pushing off and a little bit of a small bit of your hip flexors at the later part of you pushing off that really pull your leg forward a lot of swing phase is not active in the way where it's not pulling you forward most of it is actually like a very small thing when you your foot lifts off the ground a small kick from the hip and the ankle to bring you forwards a little bit from the knee and then the rest of it is your body slowing down your limbs so it can handle landing. So my in English, my suspicion is that it's because the cat the master's runners are losing calf function that they have to compensate with hip extension. They probably have less um, hip flexion because of that, because your stride is a result of many different components. But I really suspect that master's runners are losing calf function similar to how what we've seen in the general population. So that's if you if you're going to try to make some further conclusions from this it's kind of hard because now we need to actually somebody needs to look at hey let me measure lower extremity muscle function muscle strength in younger versus older runners and see is there a difference there's been a couple studies that have kind of looked at this not as well as I would have hoped but i really think a large study or assist like a really needs to look at this now this is not where i'm going because that's just looking at the general like masters runners i'm more interested in, in looking at what is happening in terms of that injury thing i talked about earlier because yeah, i'm a pt i want to stay healthy you know i want to keep people around me healthy that's it makes it easier to treat because right now i have these suspicions but i can't make general prescriptions Uh, across master's runners because we still aren't really sure what's happening in a function standpoint. We have some pieces, but not all of them. So if you don't have all the pieces, it's really going to be an individual basis, a case-by-case basis. You have to evaluate the individual, figure out what's driving their symptoms, and you can't make blanket stuff about the rest of the population because we're still missing things, like like I said, strength. However, I'm still going to make some hypotheses about, like I said, I think we're losing calf muscle function, which would totally make sense that Achilles tendinopathy and calf problems are the number one things that people, are, as they get older, are risk for. Because guess what one of the biggest risk factors for Achilles tendinopathy is? Decreased calf function. That makes sense. There's a ton of other things. There's actually some really interesting research that fluoroquinoline um, antibiotics are actually a risk factor, but the big biomechanical force things is either too much dorsiflexion, too little dorsiflexions, you can be too mobile. You can be not mobile enough. So don't assume that you should stretch this. And there's a whole other topic we have on Achilles tendinopathies and stretching, but don't assume stretching is always the answer. We definitely know that muscle strength loss in the calves really is a risk factor for Achilles tendinopathy. And I say this because I've had Achilles issues. I know a lot of master's runners have had Achilles issues. That is testimonial data until I saw the evidence many years ago as I was part of doing my dissertation going, Oh, so If we want to keep running as we're older, and as we get older, and I'm sure master runners know this, is when you get injured when you're older, it takes longer to come back from that. And that can be really frustrating because running is so much more than exercise. It is like something near and dear our hearts. It's part of us, who we are as human beings, at least those of us who are runners. And it's really frustrating not to be able to do that. Everybody, most people have been injured. They know that really frustrate that big frustration. It's what motivated me to become a physical therapist because like, I need to figure out how to do this because I'm tired of having to get injured. And it's been a really great experience to be able to share that with others, help them get through these journeys. But the biggest thing is I want to know, how do we stop this from happening in the first place, or at least significantly decrease the risk of this happening? So my suspicion is decreased calf muscle function. I think that you certainly need to maintain your hip muscle function. So if I was going to give some suggestions on what to do without enough evidence behind what I'm saying right now, it would be you better make sure your calf muscles are strong. And that might mean doing some strength and even some jumping stuff and ease into that. Um but you also need to make sure that your hips don't get stiff because you need to be able to generate force and, but also make sure you can compensate. So making sure you have enough hip extension and keeping your calf muscles strong is probably the biggest takeaways I can tell you from what I hypothesize what needs to happen. I don't know that for sure because we still need further evidence, but here's the other thing and a little pitch for what I'm doing. So I am studying masters runners with Achilles tendinopathy. If you are, I my study as of this point, uh, is still in the process of being approved. It should be approved any day now. It's in APU's IRB program. Um, if you are interested when it gets approved and being a participant, please reach out to us. You can reach out to the docs running Gmail. If you know me on Instagram, you, any of those places, let us know. And the, the key is you have to be in Southern California close to Azusa because that's where I'm doing all the biomechanical testing when this thing goes live. I am going to, as soon as this is approved, I'm going to try to get as many subjects as possible in there to finish this. I've done a power analysis. I need at least 30 plus people for this. Um, so I need those who are healthy and those who have a history of Achilles tendinopathy. right? Assuming you're not doing any rehab. And if you are interested in this, don't start doing what I just said, going, oh, I need to do calf strength and all that stuff, because that's going to impact the stuff. Just be who you are, be natural. And I'm looking to see, like compare those and figure out kind of what is there any influence further on a couple additional variables that I'm not going to talk about yet um, on what may be influencing some of these changes in master's runner. So if you're interested, you're in the Southern California area, please reach out to us. I would love to have you. The study has not been approved yet. So hopefully by the time this is released, it'll be approved and it'll start data collection, but feel free to reach out to us. Um, I really love this. And again, Doctor's Running started as a teaching tool. I was kind of frustrated that I was in running stores and I was getting into physical therapy and I didn't see a lot of stuff that was really consensus-driven and evidence-based. And Doctor's Running has been really an attempt to bring more evidence and research into the general population to help you make better decisions with footwear. But also, we're going to start reaching into how do we keep you healthy, right? And there's a lot of stuff out there a lot of complicated stuff. And our job is to keep this really simple. There's enough stuff out there. Just like me, I like simple. My students know this. I like to keep things simple because the more complicated, yes, life is complicated, but through that complexity to find out common themes of how to address some of this stuff because we just want to keep moving. We just want to run, you know, as all the shoes you see behind me, I just want to go for a run. I don't want to get interrupted. I don't have to overthink things, which still happens. So I appreciate you coming on this journey, and I hope that was helpful. So this, again, this is what my study, my systematic review found, and I hope that was helpful. If you are interested in helping me out and participating and not only helping me out, but helping the entire group of master runners in certainly the world figure out what's changing and why some some kinds of injuries might be a little more common, let us know. I'm also really curious if you have anything else we would want us to review, because as we're going through footwear stuff, we are PTs. We're interested in biomechanics. We're interested in forces, strength, and all that stuff. So I'm hoping to continue doing this because I want to teach all of you How not only to keep healthy footwear choices, but also how to stay healthy because I'm in one of the rare professions where I want people to stay healthy and not need me, right? I'm very lucky to be a PT and people are always getting injured. If we can decrease that and improve people's function, that's part of the preventative aspect that the American Physical Therapy Association really emphasize is part of our scope. So I appreciate you sticking around. Hope that was helpful. We'll have more research stuff soon, especially as they get published, but that's probably not going to be anytime soon because I still got more research to go. But I appreciate you listening to stuff. Hope it was helpful. If you have any comments, as always, please leave stuff in the comment section wherever you're listening or viewing this. I do realize, for those of you watching this on YouTube, that I keep moving my computer and jostling. so thanks for tolerating that. Have a wonderful evening, day, time, whatever you're doing, and thanks for listening, and we will catch you soon.